If you don't feel you have time for health, how the heck are you going to have time for sickness? Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And while Dr. Lyons is a board-certified family medicine doctor. She's not your doctor. So we always <laughs> recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. We just heard you giggle. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lyons. <laughs> Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yes. So is it okay if I call you Gabrielle? Yes, please do. Yes. Okay. So listeners, you can find Dr. Gabrielle Lyon through her website and work that she's doing on all the socials. We'll put Links in the podcast, but if you just go to Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N website, you can find all the things that we're going to talk about today, her social book, all the things. You are an acclaimed medical practitioner, author, and founder of the Institute for Muscle-Centric Medicine, which we're going to talk more about today, with a forthcoming book, Forever Strong, a new science-based strategy for aging well, which is available for pre-order and out in October. What's the exact date? October 17th. Okay, great. And I have been reading a preview and love that it is anchored in evidence that teaches you why and how to optimize muscle, no matter your age or health background. I think it's interesting your background after years of watching patients cycle through your practice, noticed a pattern and while patients struggled with a wide range of conditions, all seemed to suffer from the same core problem, which is too little muscle, rather than identifying it as too much fat. And your latest TEDx talk on the topic has received nearly half a million views in just a few months, and you've been featured on CNBC, <laughs> say that three times fast, Women's Health, Men's Journal, Yahoo Life, Muscle and Fitness, and many more. So welcome to the whole view. We're so glad that you're here. Can you tell us a little more about yourself and what brought you to where you are today? Yes, certainly. My trajectory has been straight, which is unusual for a healthcare provider. I graduated high school early and moved in with my godmother, who was and is a PhD in nutritional sciences. From a very early age, the age of 17, I became fascinated with nutrition and how the body utilizes the foods that we eat for overall health and wellness. I never strayed from that concept. So when I went to do my undergraduate degree, I did that in human nutrition, vitamin, mineral metabolism, and was fortunate enough to land in the class of a world-renowned protein researcher. So from there on out, I was obsessed with protein and muscle Went and went to medical school. Following medical school, I did two years of psychiatry, then three years of family medicine, and then I did a fellowship in nutritional sciences and geriatrics at Washington University in St. Louis. And what I love about how you opened this 
was that right now we focus on the obesity epidemic and it is always about what we have to lose and that weight is a problem. But that actually wasn't what I saw. What I saw was that no matter what the individual was suffering from, it wasn't necessarily a body fat issue. What it really was an issue of unhealthy skeletal muscle or low muscle mass that started decades before. And when we are trying to fix a problem, we have to make sure that we are asking the right question. And the question wasn't about what we have to lose, but it really was about what we have to gain and what we have to gain is muscle. I love that concept a lot. And I think it's important that we have full disclosure that the show is an anti-diet show. And when I was listening to your TEDx talk, one of the things that you first talked about was a patient that kind of inspired a lot of the work that you do, Betsy, and that in diving deep into Betsy's health and journey, you identified that yo-yo dieting had actually caused harm to her health because it was reducing muscle mass. Could you share a little bit more with listeners about that story and I think a lot of people will identify with that. And also it'll kick us off to, I think, where we're going to a large part of our conversation. But I thought that it was a great example of the work that you do. I, first of all, appreciate that it's not about a diet because you're absolutely right. I think that dieting has really created a major problem for people. It erodes their self-esteem. Not only does it erode self-esteem, but it really allows people to become vulnerable to different narratives rather than being rooted in some evidence-based practices that once those are built into a lifestyle, then one can execute on that. I was doing my fellowship and my fellowship was a combined research and clinical practice fellowship. What does that mean? That means that I did two years of research within obesity and geriatrics, meaning the brain function, the way in which the brain functions, as well as my clinical practice was seeing individuals over the age of 65 and some were in nursing homes, some in the hospital. And then on weekdays, I ran an obesity medicine clinic. When we were looking at brain function and weight, I became very attached to one of the participants and we'll just call her Betty. And she was a mom of three in her mid-50s she had always been told the same narrative to reduce her calories, do cardio, eat less and move more. And it made her, again, vulnerable to this cycle of weight loss. And one of the things was that she was extremely busy. She's a mom of three. And we all know, I know that you have children. I have two little ones. It's very easy to put ourselves last it becomes a challenge to really prioritize our own health. And listening to her story, how she was just so loving and so much about her family and just struggling, struggling, but she was doing everything that she was told to do. I feel like I failed her. I failed her. The medical society had failed her. When I imaged her brain looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's brain. And it was devastating. It was devastating because maybe some of the pathology wasn't apparent at the moment. And what is the pathology that I'm speaking about? That's forgetting 
names and where your keys are and driving and all the tasks that we take for granted. And I just began to search for answers because I knew what we'd been telling her wasn't enough. And that's really where muscle-centric medicine was born. I just had this aha moment that across the board of what I was seeing was not a body fat issue. It was this idea that when we think about skeletal muscle, it's so much more than looking good in a bikini and sport performance, but it is the organ of longevity. And as an organ system, it's really responsible for everything related to health and wellness. I think some of the statistics that you provided in the TEDx talk, and there's a ton of science, some of the reviews for your book are calling it a reference book already. I'm a little bit of a stalker before people come on, so don't get afraid. No, I think it's um, great. And I actually <laughs> haven't read the reviews because it's, <laughs> there, I poured my heart and soul no, into the book can. and I... I know it can change the world and I know that we can do it together. Yes. I, as someone who struggles with my own perfectionism and all of those things, like reading the reviews on books that I wrote crushed my spirit for a while. So I think it's great that you're just, uh, they were all positive. And my, my point was that there's so much information and reference material. So I wanted to share a couple of the stats that you specified that kind of weaved Betty's story together, which was that in living that lifestyle that she'd lived, there was a ruined metabolism and less muscle mass, and that that had led to some of the results that you were seeing. I'm wondering, during the course of putting yourself on this trajectory of muscle focus, what are some of these activities or ideas or concepts that we can talk about a little bit that lean into these health-conscious, focused ideals, right? Like we want to live our best quality life for as long as we can without walking along the other side of that path, which is that, but I need to diet, I need to do less, I need to do all these other things. Like, can you help us understand where, what approach you're taking and how that can work in harmony? Of course. And the first place to start is what is muscle? Muscle is this tissue, this organ system that is under our voluntary control, which makes it in and of itself incredibly unique. You can think about doing a bicep curl. You can think about getting up and walking. You have active control, voluntary control of this tissue, which is very plastic. And when we think about skeletal muscle, I'll frame it in a few ways for you. Number one, it is the metabolic sink, meaning it is responsible for glucose disposal. We hear a lot in the news and on media channels about this idea of insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, and obesity. When we think about extra glucose, we have to think, well, where does it go? Glucose disposal, 80% 80 of glucose disposal, which is the carbohydrates that you eat, gets stored in skeletal muscle. And that becomes really important to understand. It is also a site for fatty acid oxidation. We all care about, we hear about triglycerides and lipids. Well, skeletal muscle is a place in which fatty acids are oxidized. And that's where we burn fat within the mitochondria. We also think about skeletal muscle as an endocrine organ. And when we hear endocrine organ, many of us are thinking, thyroid, 
the thyroid is an endocrine organ and skeletal muscle is also an endocrine organ. When you contract skeletal muscle, it releases hormones called myokines. Myokines, quite simply, are these hormones that travel throughout the body and influence brain. It can help with neurogenesis. It can help with spatial awareness. It can help with brain health. Myokines also help modify our immune system. We hear a lot about inflammatory responses. Contracting skeletal muscle, exercising skeletal muscle releases these myokines that help interface with these immune cells and lower them and allow us to be more adaptable and overall increase immune function. It also helps with nutrient partitioning. And that's just a fancy word of what organ systems are going to utilize the foods that we eat. It's not just about the exercising muscle, but it's also about how the liver deals with these substrates and other tissue. And when we think about any kind of catabolic crisis, meaning if we get the flu and we're at, go and on bed rest, if we break a limb, if we get really sick, if we get an illness, typically those illnesses create a very catabolic nature in the body, meaning the body is utilizing all the tools that it has. And one place it goes for rebuild and repair is skeletal muscle because it is made up of amino acids. And we require these amino acids, which is responsible for really every structure that you could think of. And the skeletal muscle is the reservoir for that, which becomes extremely critical to understand. And finally, it is our body armor. It is how we interface with the world. It allows us to pick up our kids, to get the groceries, to do this podcast. It allows us to do everything. And that makes skeletal muscle really the most important organ system in the body. Hey friends, it's my birthday month. Yes, I am going to celebrate all month long. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's especially nothing wrong with that because I want to give you a gift, but I can't share publicly here. So go to realeverything.com slash September for an exclusive offer for podcast listeners. As the cooler weather sets in, our skincare routine needs adjustments and so does our color makeup. I'd love to help you switch to safer this autumn. Made with sustainable, fair trade, and skin nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is raising up beauty. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on our health for all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone and also giving back to people and planet as a certified B Corp. Go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website. Don't forget to check out my special private deal just for you listeners. Go to realeverything.com slash September for more details. And when shopping Beauty Counter, choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can thank you. I think it's fascinating to think about all the ways in which muscle impacts. I, I remember over a decade ago, I gave a talk at a conference. Fun fact about me, I was a competitive strong woman. So I was like... Northern Virginia's strongest woman, like all these kinds of things is really into lifting. And 
I remember talking during this talk about the benefits of muscle mass as it related to women's health specifically, improved bone and heart health, for example. And at a different talk, I was also talking about like the HPA axis and thyroid. And so to hear your perspective of the muscle being an endocrine based organ and also the impact that it has, it totally makes sense that it has muscle mass has an impact on our hormones. Like saying it that way doesn't sound surprising, right? But I'm wondering in the research that you've done, how specifically biological females are more at risk for some of these negative health effects from lack of muscle mass, specifically because societal standards, cultural standards of beauty discourage us to build muscle, encourage us to lose weight, right? Which means that we're losing muscle. How does that come up for you in the work that you do? Well, let's think about muscle as a suitcase. And in order to have healthy muscle, number one, you need enough of it. And number two, you have to create flux. What does that mean? Flux means that you have to do exercise because static skeletal muscle or muscle that is overpacked, and I'll use a suitcase analogy, for example, if we are overeating and under-exercising and we've identified skeletal muscle as this glucose storage sink, that just like a suitcase, if you're going on a trip and you're packing it with so much clothes, you're not going to be able to close the suitcase and the clothes are going to spill back out. Well, that's exactly what happens in the bloodstream. When you are overeating or not disposing of this glucose, it has nowhere to go. Whether you are male or female, it has nowhere to go. And that ends up resulting in high levels of blood glucose and subsequent higher levels of insulin. And really, skeletal muscle is the site of many of these disease processes. Skeletal muscle becomes the target and one of the first places that we see insulin resistance. This, so insulin is a peptide hormone that is released from the pancreas that moves glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells. Glucose at high levels over time is very toxic. In fact, that's the definition of diabetes. And the subsequent issues with that can be damage to kidneys, damage to all blood vessels. It's eyesight. Many processes in the body become damaged with excess glucose. Now, if we think about skeletal muscle, meaning we need to have healthy skeletal muscle, exercising skeletal muscle, and enough skeletal muscle mass, then Women who are really thinking about just cardiovascular activity or worried about bulking up, I don't even know where that came from, but this concept of really being concerned about being bigger and putting on too much muscle has done a huge disservice for women who naturally start with lower muscle mass. They have lower levels of testosterone and they just have lower levels of muscle mass to begin with. When we conceptually push them to eating salads and doing more cardiovascular activity, when an individual is younger, they have a lot more flexibility because the aging process hasn't really caught up and their ability to manage substrates, manage food is high. But as we age, muscle mass becomes critical and really the focal point of health and wellness. And if we have this narrative that women shouldn't be big and strong, then what we see primarily for people that are starting with lower muscle mass and then encouraged to 
have these behavior patterns that further reduce healthy skeletal muscle, we see increases in the incidence of type 2 diabetes. We see increases in the incidence of obesity, cardiovascular disease, all the diseases that we think about metabolic health. We see them show up in women and especially around menopause when women are, have, tend to be less active. Menopause is defined as one year without a menses. But we know it doesn't just happen one day you wake up and you're in menopause. It's this process that any woman could attest to over a period of time where there's ebbs and flows of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. This is when we see sarcopenic obesity rise the fastest. And that is sarcopenia, which, by the way, has finally, 2016 is when it was actually even put into this this ICD code, which is the International Classification of Disease, they finally recognized it as something relevant in 2016, which is obviously not that long ago. And when muscle mass declines and fat weight begins to put on, women become much less healthy. And we see, again, all kinds of dysregulating within the body, dysregulation of physiology, which becomes really unfortunate. And then the other thing that happens is women feel less good about themselves. And finally, they feel like it's inevitable. Well, I've just hit menopause and this is inevitable. My hormones have tanked and now I've put on central weight. And nothing could be further from the truth, by the way. It's also interesting to think about like when you were Talking about some of these statistics and information, there's like a study that I can't remember the name of it right now, but that evaluated long-term health, right? And looking at categories of underweight, overweight, obesity, and the work that you've done, I'm sure you're familiar and won't be a surprise, but for listeners, I was shocked to see that the lowest all-cause mortality was in the overweight category. And if you think about it, like the rock is going to be in an overweight category. It's got a lot of muscle mass. And I think for a lot of people, when they go to the doctor, isn't talking about muscle mass. The doctor isn't talking about like, I've been to the doctor, I had dehydration and I was assumed to have other things because it was assumed that I wasn't physically active. And so I think a lot of family practitioners or people, regular day-to-day doctors are making a lot of assumptions around what someone looks like and then the symptoms that they're having or the the suggestions that are given align a lot more to what you're saying in terms of like, well, eat less, move more, but not specifying the amount of protein that's important for humans in general to have, right? Like, Adult women need to not be eating like toddlers and what that does to our bodies when we do. Can you talk a little bit about that and like the health markers that come up when people switch those behaviors? Most certainly. When you think about the most important macronutrient throughout a lifespan, that is dietary protein. That is my opinion. But one must understand that dietary protein as a macronutrient is probably the most misunderstood macronutrient. Macronutrients are proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. Dietary protein, when you look at the back of a label, just says protein. 
but actually it's made of 20 different individual amino acids, which all have individual biological roles. Yet we look at the back of a label and we just see protein, which is number one, a major problem because it doesn't specify the idea that protein in a peanut is different than protein in beef. These things are, are very, they're different. Logically, it makes a lot of sense, but we still don't see that. Dietary protein right now is set at 0.8 grams per kg, which is 0.37 grams per pound of body weight. The RDA, which is the recommended dietary allowance, is the minimum to prevent deficiencies. Yet when we think about it, we often think about that number as the maximum. Would you agree with that statement? I think it depends on the classification, but yeah, I don't think people are thinking to themselves, oh, let me get to this minimum every day. Yeah. But they're thinking, well, this is the RDA. I'm meeting my needs. Yes. The RDA for women is about 45 grams of protein a day, and that's really too low. The minimum to prevent deficiencies is 0.37 grams per kg. The data shows that a more optimal number would be closer to 0.7 to 1 gram per pound ideal body weight, which is more than double the RDA. That becomes really important to understand because to put this in context, When we get sick and the RDA for vitamin C is 60 milligrams, when we get sick, we always think, well, I'm going to take more vitamin C because I'm not feeling well. We never think that about protein. We don't think, wow, I'm not feeling well or wow, I'm sick or have X, Y, and Z. I'm going to increase my dietary protein, which is just a flaw in the way that it's been laid out for the viewer or the listener of this podcast. Dietary protein does a number of things. Number one, again, it is essential. We don't need carbohydrates. Our bodies can make that. And quite frankly, it can make it from protein. We do have a small essential need for fats, essential fatty acids. But the majority of our structure is built on dietary protein. When we think about how, from a very practical standpoint, how we should eat it and how we should think about it, if We think about one gram per pound ideal body weight is as the baseline. So if someone is 120 pounds, a great way for her to think about protein would be, I need to get around 115 grams to maybe 100 grams of dietary, 100 grams of dietary protein. That'd be a great place to start, which someone might think, well, that's a lot. But in fact, it's only a lot when we think about the perspective that we've been encouraged to think about all the other macronutrients. When you, from a practical standpoint, start your first meal of the day with between 30 and 50 grams of dietary protein, it will stimulate muscle. You are stimulating muscle, the organ of longevity. You are stimulating because you are, number one, in an overnight fast. And dietary protein, especially high-quality proteins, have a robust amount of what's called essential fat, essential amino acids, meaning the amino acids that we must get. There's nine essentials and we must get them from the diet. And out of those nine essentials, leucine is one amino acid that's critical to muscle health. When we have enough leucine, which typically someone can think of 
rides alongside with a minimum of 30 grams of high quality protein, you turn on the muscle machinery. You turn on this concept of this physiological process called muscle protein synthesis, which then is a biomarker essentially for muscle health, this incorporation of amino acids. But you protect skeletal muscle. So what the listener needs to know is if they quite simply add in 30 to 50 grams of dietary protein, they will protect their skeletal muscle. They will also boost up their metabolic process because it is expensive. When I say metabolic process, meaning it takes calories to utilize that protein. So you are eating a robust amount of dietary protein. You are stimulating skeletal muscle. You are setting yourself up for glucose regulation, meaning you are not having these huge ebbs and flows of blood sugar, right? Because if you spike your blood sugar, then you're going to get a subsequent drop of blood sugar and your body has to deal with that. And it's going to release catecholamines. It's going to release insulin. And it is going to be somewhat of a metabolic mess, making you irritable, hungry, more likely to reach for sugar to raise up your blood sugar after you drop it. So dietary protein can stabilize your blood sugar. It can also cause a release of certain gut hormones that will make you feel full. It essentially augments your willpower. You will much be much less likely to be craving and looking for other food 90 minutes after you eat. All while supporting skeletal muscle mass. And this is amazing. And again, when you eat for muscle mass, you eat for muscle health, you are resting assured that you are meeting those other amino acid needs. And that becomes really important because again, you eat, there are 20 different amino acids. Leucine is responsible for muscle health, but we have threonine, which is responsible for mucin, for the gut lining. You have arginine, which is responsible for vasodilation. We have tryptophan, which is responsible for serotonin and tyrosine, tyrosine for dopamine, all these processes in the body that do so much more than help muscle mass. But again, when you nail muscle mass, when you eat for muscle health, you get all these other benefits that the body needs. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox, a fantastic source for proteins we're all realizing right now that we need a little bit more of. And they're giving you $20 off their already high quality cuts at an amazing value. ButcherBox is not only making life easier by having nourishing meals ready in no time, simply open your freezer, but the quality is unparalleled. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. That means that our whole family is getting health-promoting benefits like conjugated linoleic acid with healthy omega-3 fatty acids. Always shipped for free frozen right to your door in an eco-friendly 100% recyclable box. I don't know how they do it, but I love it. No other meat delivery service compares to ButcherBox. They are a certified B Corp focusing on quality for you, the animal, and the planet. And we have a home-cooked meal nearly every single night in our home. It could not happen without our ButcherBox stocked freezer. When we have what we need at home, it also helps us save time and money because ButcherBox has a variety of quality cuts and amazing values and exclusive member deals. 
Plus it gets delivered right to our doorstep. It feels like magic without my needing to do a single thing. You can choose from a variety of box option plans too. Um, we curate a custom one. It can be changed at any time, which is great. And ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview to get $20 off your first order. That's butcherbox.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview to claim this deal. I wonder with the focus on dietary protein, how much pushback from a subset of the society that believes specifically animal protein? Because you talked a little bit about how protein in peanuts or protein in beans is going to behave differently and nourish our bodies in different ways than what you define as quality protein as being animal-based. How do people who feel like that's harming our planet or our bodies address that with you? Like, how do you respond to those concerns? The first statement is that high quality protein and low quality protein, these are hard, fast biological numbers. I did not make this up. These come from amino acid scoring systems. This is just the fact. They, beef has a certain amount of essential amino acids versus beans have a, another subset of amino acids, right? This is just the way it is. A plant-based diet is typically, a vegan diet is typically low in methionine, which is one reason why people use it, whether they know that they're doing that or not, but it creates a picture of methionine restriction, which is another amino acid. Plant-based products can be low in lysine and certainly lower in leucine. And so the concept of a high-quality protein and a low-quality protein is quite frankly, not an opinion. It is just like the sky is blue. This is how they've defined dietary protein based on essential amino acids. And that I think is really important because it becomes incredibly emotional for people, but it again, quite frankly, is not. The other aspect of planetary health in the US, agriculture is 9% of greenhouse gas. 9%. Half of that comes from agri- from cattle and other things. Maybe three three point four percent comes from cattle. The there's also greenhouse gas from crops. It's very low. The majority of greenhouse gas is electricity, transportation, and industry. It is not food. We cannot eat our way out of climate change. Period. End of story. Again, this is Environmental Protection Agency. We do not and cannot eat our way out of climate change. One of the things that contributes to greenhouse gas is food waste. Most people are wasting vegetables. In your fridge, if you go and you look at your fr- in your fridge, the things that go bad are roots and vegetables. Not No one is throwing out a prime rib or eggs, or at least you're trying not to, right? You just, you tend to eat those things. So putting in perspective that when we talk about greenhouse gas and environment, Personally, it seems as if it's a smokescreen, because if we are all fighting amongst ourselves, then we can ignore industry, we can ignore transportation, we can ignore all these huge contributors to the climate change problem. So that, that's one aspect. The other thing to think is, are these proteins equal? They are not. 
And could you be vegan or vegetarian and meet your protein needs? You can. If you are going to eat whole foods, the amount of extra calories that you're going to consume and the idea of the carbohydrates that ride along with these proteins that come from plant sources, they're just very high. So metabolically, especially a woman going through menopause, if she is eating whole foods, that's a lot of rice and beans. It may be 25 to 35% more tofu. So there are ways to do it, but you have to make sure that you are able to keep your calories in check. The other aspect to that is we don't eat foods in isolation. What are some of the positive aspects of the food matrix? When we're eating plants, we're thinking about phytonutrients and fiber and certain vitamins and minerals. When we are eating animal-based foods, we are thinking about highly bioavailable iron, zinc, selenium, calcium, creatine, taurine, carnosine, and serine, all things that are either not in plant foods or in a limited amount in plant foods. When we think about aging, having high nutrient density, meaning calories are lower, but the quality of the calories that we're eating really need to be on point. And that's what I would say. I would say, could you do it, a vegan or vegetarian diet? You can. Would you likely need to supplement quite frequently and be really on top of it? Yes. Now, I'm a, tr a trained geriatrician. Do I know most people that are 65 and up supplementing with protein shakes or creatine or iron pills or X, Y, and Z? No, they're on a limited budget and it is not really feasible for the amount of volume that they would have to eat. And I think it's really bad advice. If you want to do it when you are younger and you can manage it, then that's great. But again, how are we going to protect people as they age? And in other countries, high-quality proteins are a luxury. This idea that we are going to self-impose rationing for an, any number of reasons doesn't make sense to me. Again, I've been studying nutrition for 20 years. This was not 10 years ago. N no one was talking about this. It wasn't as heated or argued. And again, one has to ask, who stands to benefit with these arguments? And the people that stand to benefit are those people that are going to profit from people purchasing processed foods. So if you are purchasing Impossible Burger or you are purchasing oat milk or you are purchasing X, Y, and Z, these are all processed foods that have a lot of advertising dollars. So commodities are whole foods like eggs and soy and corn and beef and milk. Collectively, the commodities budget is $750 million. PepsiCo is one company. Their budget is $1.96 billion. That's one company. USDA is in charge of what the commodities can say. So we're going to play a game, okay? So I'm going to say milk, and you're going to tell me the tagline for milk. What's the tagline? I grew up in the 90s. It's got milk. I'm going to say beef, and you're going to say? What's for dinner? Now, you noticed that it's one statement. Did you know that represents all milk farms? It's all of milk, and that's all of beef. It can't say beef is a better source of protein than Impossible Burger or a better source of protein than beans. 
it cannot be disparaging against anything else because it's governed under the USDA. You can hear Quaker Oats say, this is going to lower your cholesterol and it's really good for your heart and X, Y, and Z. Impossible Burger can say it's better for you than beef. Where we have to understand the little guy is being overshadowed by the billions of dollars. And this is just one company, but billions and billions of dollars that they can say and make all kinds of claims. And the commodities have nothing to say because they are under restriction. Now I ask you, who stands to benefit when there is a narrative? You don't think that a billion-dollar company can create a narrative that beef is killing the cattle, is killing the planet? Of course it can. So we have to think, at the end of the day, who stands to benefit when we are all fighting amongst ourselves and what is truly valuable for human health. And that would be a balanced nutrition plan that includes both plants and animals and minimal processed foods. This week's podcast is sponsored by new to me, but I am obsessed with it now brand Puri. After recent health testing, I realized that the supplements that I was taking were not effective. So I went and searched out and found Puri. I get super excited about their high quality standards for testing and transparency of their supplements, especially with all the news lately about contamination. When nutrients are extracted from natural sources to put into a supplement, they become super concentrated, which is why many brands, if they are tested, are found to contain heavy metals, pesticides, toxins, and other undesirable substances like BPA and who knows what else is in there. Not what I want to be adding into my body on purpose for sure, which is why it's important that they are tested for all traces of contamination. And Puri uses third-party laboratory testing for 200 different types of pesticides, heavy metals, and other unwanted substances, and verifies that the product contains the amount of active ingredients indicated on the label, which is also certified by the Clean Label Project. Y'all, I usually despise fish oil supplements. They have always given me burps. It's just one of those things that I avoid even if I have it, even the algae-based ones that I have tried. Until Puri, I have been taking their omega-3 fish oil for months now and have never had a single fish oil burp. Let me say that again. All the brands that I've tried before have always given me fish oil burps, and this is the only brand I have ever tried that has never given me one. I know that I am getting some sort of fresh, pure, potently sourced omega-3, which I love because it's going to be supporting my heart, my brain, my eyes. You've heard all the things that we're talking about with protein. This is such a powerful source of nourishment and nutrients for your body. And Puri includes all the actual data behind every batch, which makes it a supplement brand you can trust. Be aware of what you're putting in your body. Trust Puri like I do. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners, you, 20% off site-wide. Go now to my special URL, puri.com slash wholeview, and use my promo code wholeview. This even applies to already discounted subscriptions. You'll get almost a third off of the price. 
go to puori.com slash wholeview. Don't wait. Use promo code wholeview at puri.com slash wholeview. And that's what I would say. Yeah, no, I think those are all really valid points. And I think sometimes we forget that we live in a world where a ridiculous amount of money is being spent to sell us things. Like I just think about the money that is spent one year on advertising things. Like I bet you people are still going to drink their, consume their favorite brands of products. Yet if we took that money, like what we could do with it to change the world, like it's hard to like think about those kinds of things. And at the same time, to live in a world that says, like, you could go anywhere on the internet, you could talk to two different doctors, you could do whatever, and someone would say, you need to eat less meat, and someone would say, you need to eat more meat, right? And I think the struggle that humans in general, we all have, especially Americans, is that we live in this world where because people want to sell us things, because people want to sell us on the idea of aesthetics and the aesthetic ideal being smaller or whatever, like we live in this world where we're constantly being told, no, do this thing. Oh, that thing didn't work. Now try this thing. Oh, that thing didn't work. Now try this thing. Instead of focusing on what are your specific symptoms and what are the things that will improve your quality of life. Like, it's just amazing to me how few people talk about health from quality of life and instead jump to the aesthetics perspective or the take things away from your life perspective and thinking about it from dietary food choices. As one example, it's so refreshing to be able to say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to add more protein to what I'm doing. And likely what that's going to do as a side effect is reduce some of the other things that, you know, I or whomever might be consuming that are less ideal for my health. But instead of focusing on taking away, because I just really think even the mindset of leaning into something versus taking it away from yourself or saying I can't or whatever can be so problematic given the societal structure that's built around all of these concepts that, as you said, like who decided long time ago that women couldn't be strong? Well, really, I think it was rooted in BC time period when we wanted women to be property and those kinds of things. And is that really what we think today? No, for most people who are having a modern mindset. And if that's what it means for me to be 70 years old and I get the flu, or pneumonia, I get the flu and I don't want it to turn into pneumonia and I don't want to die from it. If what I need is muscle mass, because that will help my body be strong enough to survive those things, that is such an easier thing for someone to understand than like, you need to eat less, you need to do all these kinds of things, which really isn't, it's not getting us where we need to go. Yeah. And I love what you're saying. One of the recommendations as a geriatrician is they say they actually don't like older individuals to lose weight. And precisely because what you are talking about is that if someone were to get injured, they need to have enough body mass to be able to maintain any kind of catabolic state. 
The failure there is we could have addressed the quality of the body composition in our 30s or younger. And when we can understand that healthy skeletal muscle is everything and that it's going to help us survive against all-cause mortality and morbidity, so any kind of illness that someone would get or die from, our survivability increases the more healthy muscle mass you have. And it's shocking to me that we still look solely at body fat versus being able to identify skeletal muscle, which we don't have great tools yet even to do that. It is much easier to identify body fat than it is to identify skeletal muscle. But eventually we will get there and it will be considered just as important as any other vital sign. It's like an aside for me and for listeners who are listening. Dr. Lyon and I have very different body types. And I think of like when I was in high school and I was like active and I look back at those photos and like, I look like an athlete is what I look like. When I was going through puberty, I looked like someone who was an athlete that you see on the Olympics, like a swimmer or a gymnast or something like I had like good muscle mass. And genetically, I think my family history is predisposed to being what other people would call bigger boat. But in the context of this conversation, to think that like in high school, I was mocked or made fun of and then sent to fat camp where I lost huge weights, huge amounts of weight in one summer by complete lack of nutrients and nourishment and then never ending cardio and what that did to my metabolic state to lose that much muscle mass to then come home not be in a state where I'm food restricted not be in a state where I'm doing aerobics six hours a day and what's going to happen in my body and the context of my experience and thinking about how this plays into hormones and metabolism and my long-term health with the research that you've done, it's heartbreaking to me how many people have a similar personal experience to my own, whether it was when they were a teenager or when they were in their 20s or whatever it might be. We all have stories of either ourselves or someone we know passing out on the elliptical machine, like all these kinds of things that it's so tragic because we think that we're doing it for our health. The work that you're doing and that you're sharing with people is like, that's not actually helping our health. Like, we need to stop these habits. Yeah. And the other thing is skeletal muscle is an interesting currency. Do you know why? Because it is the only currency that cannot be bought, sold, or bargained for. Skeletal muscle has to be earned. And in the process of earning skeletal muscle, it creates a self-empowerment. Because again, we are not thinking about how are we looking. We're thinking about how strong can I be? How capable physically can I be? It doesn't have to be complicated, but by really shifting this idea of creating personal sturdiness and creating personal resilience physically, then everything can fall into place. It allows you to develop a certain confidence that comes with being physically capable and physically strong. And it's never too late to do that. I have seen research women and men in their 80s getting stronger. This is something 
that is so empowering that can be done. It doesn't have to be hours on the elliptical. That's a terrible idea. The, the most important thing people can do for aging is resistance training. And resistance training is moving anything against force. You could start with bands. In fact, I painstaking, by the way, can I just tell you, I could never be a fitness influencer. I made a hundred videos of exercise videos on how to do things exactly. And that's actually on my website. And people, when they pre-order a book, they will get this massive library. We scaled it down to 80 videos. Not that anyone's going to watch 80 videos, but resistance training is a non-negotiable. We are largely domesticated just as is, including myself, right? We, there's escalators and we have cars. We don't have to move nearly as much. But if we can offset the domestication of humans by lifting things and moving things against force, very simply, let's say after this podcast, you're going to do 10 air squats. That's easy. 10 push-ups, 10 air squats. You, we could do that. We can move against resistance. We can, we can begin to become physically strong and slightly uncomfortable. Did you know that when you are moving skeletal muscle, you don't require insulin? And again, we don't want to burn out our pancreas. We live in a world of excess. These are very simple things that we can do. If I were to make a general recommendation, three to four days a week of resistance training. Hit each body part twice. Get in 10 sets on each body part total. That's totally doable. You decide how you're going to do it. That's doable. And then if you want to throw in some kind of high-intensity interval training, the moms at home are thinking, I don't have time to do all that. You definitely have time to do interval training. And it could be four minutes. It could be 10 minutes. If you work hard enough, it could be a minute. These are very simple things that we can do. If we can work the most important muscle, which, by the way, I think is our mind, which I guess is, I suppose, not a muscle, an organ. But if we can reframe the paradigm of thinking to one of real mental strength and fortitude, it'll allow us to execute. You are never going to feel motivated or ready. Are you kidding? I have to work out tomorrow morning at seven. I'm already telling myself all the reasons why I'm not going to be doing it, but I'm going to show up. But doesn't mean I'm not going to be telling myself all the reasons why I'm so tired. The kids kept me up all night, but I'll still do it. We have to be aware of our own human weaknesses, and that is we don't like the discomfort of change. The weight room can be very intimidating for other people, not you, but for other people can be very intimidating. And we have to understand that nothing good comes from life when we don't embrace the challenge and we don't embrace that discomfort, and it can be a small step. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And I have witnessed how robust but super easy it is to use as Cole is currently using Indeed as his hiring platform of choice as he looks for a formal chef position. I cannot believe those words just came out of my mouth and I have an 18-year-old who's ready to start a career. I We're just such very different generations, yet he loves the ease of communicating on their chat services. I love the tools and how well he is being matched to jobs that are good fit for his certifications and the things he's looking for. I kid you not, he had a phone interview the very same day he posted his resume. It moves that quickly because Indeed has streamlined hiring with powerful tools that 
find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in a search, according to US Indeed Data. Instant Match makes it so simple for employers and candidates alike. I have literally seen how this works recently, and I can validate all of this data and statistics. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a job post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash wholeview. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash wholeview. Just go to indeed.com slash wholeview and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash wholeview. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now as an aside... Outside of the sponsored mention, I want to just call out and thank Indeed for their inclusive support. I read articles at the end of August that talked about how they were giving incentives, um, offering $10,000 to transgender employees for moving expenses if they need to move out of state for care or support because they can't access it in the state that they live. I was blown away and so proud to be a partner with a brand who is doing the right thing. And this is not part of anything of the work that I do with them, but as the parent of a trans child and another LGBTQ child, I want to partner with brands who are helping keep my family safe and healthy. And this sort of action is really what we need more of because there have been nearly 500 anti-LGBTQ related bills since January of this year. And that is horrifying when you think about the implication that it might have on someone's livelihood. So for them to put their money where their mouth is and to stand up and say, we will help employees receive a $10,000 one-time payment to ease the burden of a relocation cost to ensure that they have gender-affirming care. Like, I just, kudos, thank you so much indeed, and um, I'm sure that you're getting a lot of pushback and flack, and I want to be one of the people that says, you are doing it right, and we're so grateful. And I love the idea of it being those small steps that you can do, like whether it's once an hour. We've had other podcasts where we talk about the benefits to mental health by taking a break from work, right? And another show where we talk about how sitting all day is that great. So combine all three of those things. And when you get up every hour to give your brain a break and to get up out of a sitting position, do those 10 air squats or Whatever it might be that you can do, the other thing that, you know, I love about that is that it's accessible for everyone. You don't need a gym membership. You don't 
need equipment, right? Like you can do body weight exercises for resistance training. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be more fun to move heavy things, but it can also feel really empowering to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to do 10 reps of squats when I go to the bathroom each time today. Every time I go to the bathroom, I'm just going to do 10 squats. And when I'm cooking dinner today, I'm going to, before I open the canned vegetables, I'm going to do some bicep curls with them. Like just while you're standing around, it will literally add 20 seconds to your day. But these things are things that we can start to do. And I think my personal experience is that when we do start to do them, then the ex- like the excitement for feeling the empowerment that you talked about, the excitement for doing it, like, oh, I did that thing and it wasn't that hard. I can take on one more thing, right? Instead of feeling like, oh, I can't add a four-day resistance training gym membership to my schedule right now. That's not something I can add it. You don't need to, it's not always zero to 100 that there are little things that you can do. And if it's not for yourself, then remind yourself it's for your children, it's for your partner, it's for whoever that you're going to be less likely to have a lot of the different health things that Dr. Lyons talked about. Autoimmune issues, Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer, hypertension, diabetes. Let me add in one more thing. Yeah. If you don't feel you have time for health, how the heck are you going to have time for sickness? That is that's a powerful more, right there. Is much more time consuming than some basic health techniques. Sickness will take you out of your life. I love that was like such a mic drop statement of consider how hard it is to be sick. We can all think back to a time when we were doing too much, our bodies were overwhelmed, and they said, oh, you're going to be sick, right? Our immune system forced us to rest at the worst possible time. So the idea that we could potentially support our health in that proactive way, obviously nothing is preventative, right? Like, And there's nothing to say that because we get sick that it was our fault that there was something that if we had done something different, but at the same time, if we know we can do something to improve the likelihood of our health, why wouldn't we want to? And I think that kind of leads me to where I want to hopefully wrap a little bit on a personal level for those listeners still around. I shared a little bit about my history with going to fat camp and just always feeling like, oh, I needed to be less. I needed to take up less space. I needed to do all these kinds of things. And it wasn't until I found lifting and strongman and feeling like, oh, my body can be powerful and that's not a bad thing. I have a great partner who wears shirts like, my girl is stronger than you. He had no problem knowing that I could outlift him, all these things. And I think what it ended up leading me to was the other side of the coin for me where I became obsessed with some of that stuff in an unhealthy way, not eating, moving towards back to binge habits that I'd had when I was a teenager, right? Because I would be so restrictive. I would be so focused that then I had some of these problems that I had to work out as well. And I know we've, I've had different guests on the show where we've talked about disordered eating and how harmful that can be to our health because of a mental and emotional and your story of being able to regulate through some of the hormones that we have. And I've shared the story before about like 
Well, when you tell yourself, no, you don't deserve to eat or no, it's not time yet and you don't listen to your body and then you go so long that your body then is like in this, oh my gosh, now you need to like eat everything because you've gone into starvation mode. Maybe you could do a little bit of your experience and how this approach to focusing on muscle, focusing on health walks us away from some of those patterns that are so ingrained and problematic. Yeah. As a physician and also someone who went through my own challenges with binge eating when I was in my late teens, I'm very sensitive to that. And by understanding the concepts in this book, it can move you away from that. This is not restrictive. And essentially, it uses your physiology to allow you to regain control of physical hunger, understand emotional hunger. This book is a nutrition book. It has nutrition, it has exercise, but the most unique and important component of this book also provides a framework for thinking about things. And I think that is very valuable. Me personally, when I was eating a certain nutrition plan, I was very much under eating dietary protein. I was starving. I was so hungry. I couldn't regulate my mood. I couldn't regulate my blood sugar. I was nervous to go out to eat because I didn't have organic X, Y, and Z. And I was constantly thinking about food. When I created a more balanced lifestyle with some of the strategies in this book, I was able to begin to control that. And it became effortless over time because I was feeding my body what it needed. And that was a hugely profound shift. And I hope that anyone who reads this book, I strongly encourage you to pick up this book, to read this book, to give it to a friend, because together we can move the needle and change the narrative of what health and wellness looks like. And I will say, if people order this before the book comes out, then I have a ton of incentives. I have workout videos, I have eBooks, I have a Forever Strong community, and we're even going to be doing a live event in January. This truly is a message of empowerment and a message of importance. And oh, and where can they go? They can go to my website, drgabriellelyon.com, and you will see a link to all the book perks. You can also go and order this on Amazon. And if people want to learn more, I have a podcast called The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I talk about all these things in detail. And I have a newsletter, which is totally free. And I have a 30-gram recipe newsletter, which is called 30 Gs, also totally free. And a YouTube, I provide a ton of content for people so that it is accessible. I appreciate all of those resources, and I know that they will help people. And I really appreciate your time today as we all are trying to like be in that niche of not walking down the path of problematic behaviors that can cause harm, thinking back to Betty and what that had done to her versus if we focus on where we can nourish and love on ourselves, where we can literally feed ourselves and our muscles and focus on our health. It's a mindset that I value and appreciate. And I think we need more of from medical professionals and the community at large, because I do think that we have a real problem and a disconnect in terms of what people understand and all of that in the world these days. So I, I appreciate 
everything that you shared today. Listeners, I will put a list of resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com, including links to Dr. Lyon's website and socials and all of that so you can connect to her resources. And as a reminder, her book, Forever Strong, will be available on October 17th, but you can pre-order either online or at a local bookstore. I'm assuming it's available anywhere books are sold. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Uh And listeners, if you want to head to patreon.com slash the whole view, you can also get all of our shows delivered to your inbox ad free, which is a great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves while you're checking out websites. That's another one to look into. And if you enjoyed the show, please, can you leave a review saying so? It costs you nothing except 30 seconds of your time. It makes a huge difference in our ability to continue to do this work. Don't forget to follow or subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using. And as always, we appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Thanks so much. We'll be back again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.